This episode is powered by DEN certifications. You want to deepen your practice or supplement your knowledge for your day-to-day job? You'd be surprised to know how many certifications we do offer. All levels of Reiki, intuitive healing, compassion, animal communications, and of course, our deep 400-hour meditation teacher training program. Go to denmeditation.com and look under certifications for more information. Hi, we're here with Dr. Melody Moore. Hello. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. And so she is a licensed clinical psychologist, a yoga teacher. This is, list is long, by the way. <laughs> an author and a speaker. She founded Embody Love Movement, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering girls and women to celebrate their inner beauty, commit to kindness, and contribute to meaningful change in the world, which I want to talk a lot about. And just to brag about you, I like some of your accolades. In 2015, <laughs> she was one of 10 game changers that were named by Yoga Journal, and she was also chosen as 100 most influential global leaders empowering women worldwide. So she is a bad ass. <laughs> and I love her. We're actually friends. Um, and we met on a trip, actually, in Israel, led by Marianne Williamson. And we were roommates. Um, and we didn't know each other at all. But it was so fun because, I mean, again, you can't see her, but... Melody has the biggest smile you'll ever see, and she's always giggling, so you're always wondering like what she's thinking, because she's always laughing and giggling, and it's like just the best energy to be around. But also so amazingly accomplished, which I just think is incredible, which you don't always get because you have such a childlike personality, and then you like go through your accolades and everything you've accomplished, you're like, oh shit, you're like an adult. <laughs> I feel that way when I hear that list too. <laughs> it is, I'm like, you're like a true adult. But I do want to talk about, I mean, yes, you are, you know, a licensed clinical psychotherapist and you've had clients and you've done that whole thing in your life and we'll chat about that and you are a yoga teacher which you've incorporated into your kind of newer world Mm -hmm. but you gave up she lived you lived in Dallas like in a nice house with a regular salary you had a really nice living happening and you just gave it all up to really start your foundation correct in a way there was some crossover okay so I started my foundation seven years ago well, in my mind, it was seven years ago. The 501c3 the nonprofit status came five years ago. Oh. Literally this week, five years Congratulations. ago. Thank Happy you. anniversary. I'm surprised we made it in a lot of ways. Um, it's impressive, actually. So, And I didn't give up my practice until two years ago. So there were three years when I was just really holding both. And I read recently um, Originals by, I think, Adam Grant. Mm-hmm. And it said that, like, if you're going to do a new venture, a lot of times folks do both for a while and don't just leap wholeheartedly. Because you, you suss it out a little uh, bit. Yeah. So I feel like I had that kind of opportunity to slowly build and then see this this will work. And now it's time. And did you did you honestly feel that when you left? Were you like, I know this is going to work? Or did you were you just super connected to it at that point? Like, where were you in your headspace? I knew I wanted to live here. I knew I wanted to be by the water, Santa Monica specifically. Uh, And so I knew I had to follow. I knew that if my heart was in one place, the rest of it would, would line up. That I, that I wouldn't have that longing spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, if it weren't meant to be. So I just had faith in that knowing. So you did take a leap of faith. I took, took a huge leap of faith, yeah. So when you think back about where you were in your career and where Embody Love Movement was at the time, where, so where was your foundation at the time as far as like, because you were splitting time, so you weren't giving That's it right. 100%. That's right. Um, so I was seeing between 36 and 40 clients a week in my private practice in Dallas. So it was full time yeah. as a psychologist. And then I was doing weekends, at least one a month, of facilitator trainings for Embody Love Movement. So that's really what we do. We train women to be entrepreneurs in a way, to be social impact entrepreneurs. So I lead them through how to teach workshops that transform the way girls and women feel about themselves, about their bodies, about the way they can contribute to the world. And why did that start? Like, talk a little bit about your history. How did the idea even come to you? So as a therapist, I was seeing only people who could afford therapy it's expensive and for a long period of time. So two things happened. One, I was seeing them, you know, mind to mind and mostly girls and women who were struggling with negative body image and with eating disorders. You feel like that was a lot of your clientele? It was most of my clientele. Like that's my expertise, right? Eating disorders. And so I was having, um, my own, my own transformation of how I felt in my own body in a yoga practice. And so I knew I have to combine embodied work into therapy. This can't, they're not going to get better with just cognitive treatment. It's not enough. It's taking too long. 
So let's talk about you, though. So you're saying you were struggling with your own body images totally. for how long? My whole life. And yeah. How did, how did it manifest itself? Uh, I hated my body. And because I hated my body, I had body dysmorphia, which is where the way I looked was always like this. I'm like very average weight and size. And I always have been. <laughs> Are you laughing because you think I'm small? Yes. Or, ooh, sorry. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, so I'm small or I'm skinny and I always have been. I've never actually been large or um, but or in an abundant body, but I felt like I was. I saw myself as having been in junior high and high school and in college. I mean, a little bit after college. So around my mid-20s, I was just like, something's got to give. And that's when I found yoga that really, for me, helped me have a different experience of my body, not as an object, but as a, a sensing, feeling. Tool. So did you search out yoga specifically for that, or was it just like a nice... Like you were surprised. You're like, oh, this is actually shifting how I perceive myself. I I searched out while well, I was brought to yoga. My mom took my family on a yoga retreat in Costa Rica. I mean, I, amazing. I know. I know. What, what privilege is that, right? Um, and none of us had ever practiced yoga before. We all loved it. And um, I really was attracted to the way it made me feel strong and flexible. So I thought it was more of like a weight loss technique right. and plan. It wasn't. I wasn't going there to feel better about it. It sort of had its way with me over time. Because the yoga has a way of seducing you that way. Right. Um, and then it wasn't until f- probably five years later that I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm not here to look better or perfect these poses. I'm actually here to feel better That's about amazing. me. And it shifted the way I felt about myself overall. And so then in your practice, uh, your actual therapy practice, did you feel like you were then bringing, trying to bring some of those tools into it? Yeah. Yeah. So then I wanted to offer what I knew worked for me to the people who were trying so desperately to find within themselves self-love and self-care and self-soothing, but they were reaching out everywhere for it. And specifically with my clients through trying to perfect the way their body looked or trying to perfect the way that they manage their food intake. Um, and it's just not there. It's not out. It's not, never outside of us. So when you talk about diet, I mean, look, we're women, we live in Los Angeles, dieting is everywhere. And it's always, there's always a fad. So there's always something, whether it be, I'm juicing, I'm cleansing, I'm not eating, I'm not eating this for five days, or I don't eat till 5 PM, whatever it is, as I like to say, it's not fun. Um, what do you think about that? Like, what do you think of those fads? What do you think about the diets? Do you think they're good? Do you think they're motivating? Do you think, look, for people who are struggling, trying to get their weight under control or just lose a few pounds? Like, what's your opinion on all that? I think they're shame-inducing. And the research shows overwhelmingly they don't work. I think we all know that. Like, no matter how much data we're presented with that diets don't work, there's a multi-billion dollar industry saying, yes, they do. Right. And they're seductive because, right, they're playing on our insecurities. And they work short term. And they work short term. Right. But on average, folks gain back all the weight that they lost plus 10%. So... That's, plus 10%. That's not working. I didn't know that. You know, if you... No, that's <laughs> plus not working. 10%. If you started to... It's actually screwing you. Completely. <laughs> right. And that's why it's working, right? That's why it's it's a it's an industry. It's a it, drug in itself. Right. So, like, what to use, like, the latest fad that would make you roll your eyes, even though you're not an eye roller. But, like, <laughs> but I'm the eye roller, you're not. But, like, what would like metaphorically make you roll your eyes? I don't even know how to answer that. I feel like any diet I hear... I had a patient this last month on Whole30... Yes, that's a big one. I have a friend, they go on and off it all the time. Like they do it and then they're off it for like a week or two and then they go back on. So that's what happened, right? So she, this is a person with a long history of bulimia mm-hmm. that has stopped binging and purging her food and is doing okay, but still has body distortion, still feels like she has weight to lose. She does not. And we did Whole30 and lost, there's just a little bit of weight that could, you know, and lost that weight and then stopped it and gained it right back. And then is, now she's devastated. Stop dieting. And Stop but she's going to do it again because it, in her mind it worked. Right. What do you think as women, the, do you think that's like one of the hardest things we deal with in society, just body image? Do you think that's like the root of so many of the other issues of, you know, I think it, it's so prevalent right now what's going on. I feel like in the last couple of years, especially in the last year, especially, I feel like it's just women issues are rising to the top, which is amazing. Finally. Uh, finally, exactly. So ha- A, how do you feel about that? And B, how do you, f- do you feel like body image is one of the underlying causes of some of these other things that are percolating? Yeah. I mean, I feel like as a group, women have been oppressed and all the, all throughout history, all the ways in which we've been oppressed and it's shifted. But in the last 
30 years, we could look back even further, but especially the last 30 years, and especially now, like this increases, the more recent in history we become, one of the ways we are being oppressed is through being sold this message of this beauty myth, that only if you're thin, only if you're white, only if you have blonde hair and blue eyes and this particular frame, are you enough? And that capitalism is really based on selling us this idea of you're not, but if you buy this product, if you go on this diet, if you buy, right, then you'll be enough. Then you'll be worthy. And along with that comes whatever your dreams are, success, money, the man, however it's packaged up to us. And as long as we keep participating in that, and it's really, it's like being injected into our DNA. So how do you tell a woman not to participate in that? What we do at Embody Love Movement is educate and inform. And we do it by trying to remove some of the shame that I think a lot of us carry. Like we think it's just us and we're the only ones in a certain way and don't really get like, no, we're sold this message. It's being spoon fed to us through billboards and through social media feeds and through all me- like all media always. And then because it's something most people buy into, then it's in peer circles and family circles and at the doctor's eyes everywhere. Right. This kind of message of body shaming. But do I feel like it's one of the biggest problems for women? Yes, because we all have a limited amount of energy and in our brain. You know, like mm-hmm. our brain, there's so many things. You can't think about more than one thing at a time, really. And if you're thinking about how you're going to perfect the way that you look on the outside, it doesn't leave much space to be in consideration of things that really, to me, that really matter. Right. How are you going to impact the world? How are you going to improve the connections that you have with your family members? How are you going to show kindness to someone today? You don't have a lot of space for that in your mind if you're thinking about, how am I going to lose two more pounds? And how am I going to look better than my friend at the party tonight? And right. like, it just really... And those are like big, that's a big deal for a lot of people. Yeah. And when it's really a problem, like if you're really overweight, I mean, it's, it's total shame. Like you don't want to leave the house. You don't even want to participate in the world. So it's not even that you don't even have room. You have no desire. Which is really sad. Right, which is really sad. And, you know, like for some folks, and I love this, there's a reclaiming of the idea of overweight, that there's health at every size. Absolutely. And there's so much research showing, like, you can be in an abundant or a big body, and that's not over. Like, we kind of made up that idea that it's overweight because people can be enjoying life as long as they're not sitting in total shame for them. That's right. Yeah. So there's a lot of myth about, like, it's unhealthy to have to be of abundant size. But when you look at the data, not necessarily true. People can weigh whatever amount that they weigh and their hearts are functioning fine. Their cholesterol is fine. They're not at risk of diabetes. Not everybody, but some people. So right. it's like if we're bio-individual and I think we as a culture... Bio-individual, I like that. <laughs> Fancy. But it's true. I mean, you're <laughs> right? absolutely right. And I, I have a conversation with friends all the time too where I'm like, your body is never going to look like that that you're trying. Like right. your body looks like that and it's beautiful. And maybe you want to do something to enhance it for you. But remember, that's what it is. It's who you are. Yeah. And it's the same thing, just like you are that. We're all built so differently. You know this um, Ancestry 23? Yes. So I just got my results back yesterday. <gasps> what are or you? No, Tuesday. Well, I have in my DNA and the, the, uh, the DNA of an elite athlete. That doesn't <laughs> which, surprise me at all, though. Which cracked me up. I was like... By the way, this is the girl who I would wake up in Israel and she'd be in like the narrowest hallway of like our room, like doing yoga, where I, she can't even like put her hands out and just like laying her mat down. I'd be like, like sleeping for like five more minutes. So I, that doesn't surprise me at all. But see, we are different bio-individual beings because you could not be an asshole without doing yoga. And I needed that practice to work through everything. I love that you think that about me. <laughs> We'll keep that going for a little while. Yeah, so I, I use yoga now, back to that conversation, as a tool. And that's why I was practicing in, in Israel. Like, so much was coming up inside and tension and stress and trigger. Like We were I, on a pretty intense trip, just so people know. It's spiritually intense, a lot of opinions, yeah. a lot of things coming up, a lot of just energy. So it was intense, it was just intense. so people understand what you're referring to. Totally, yeah. And so I use the practice to try to work through the tension that builds up in my body to try to re-regulate. Now, when in your lifetime do you feel like you became even aware of that? Because a lot of people wouldn't even know there's tension building up in my body exactly. right now. I mean, that's half the problem. It's it's amazing you have the tools to even work with it, yeah. but most people don't even know how to even recognize that exists. Like, when in your life do you feel like you started becoming aware? You know, I think it was when I started practicing with Sean Korn, um, and she gave that language to what was happening in my physical body, and I could, like, sort of, you know, when you hear something that's true and you start nodding your head, like, I know that I knew that, but I didn't, didn't ever have the words it, right. for it. So, yes, that resonates. Now, and now I have an ability to begin to, like, tune back in and check back in for how, where am I holding tension? Now, do you feel like as a kid you were, I mean, because, uh, look, again, you're one of the happiest people 
I know. Like, you really are so happy. I love it. Not to say you're always happy and you don't have bad moments, but you are one of the happiest people I know. Do you feel like as a child you were like that? Were you born? I mean, not born, but as a child, were you innately happy? Were you... If you look back, how how much of you are like, yes, that's always been a constant, or how much of you are like, no, this has been an evolution. Can I say hell no to that? (laughs) Okay, good. Like, why? It probably looks, it probably, if I looked back on my childhood from the outer, you know, from outside the house looking in the window, it looks like a happy child because I had a lot of privilege in certain ways. But my dad was addicted to weed. So, present physically and absent emotionally. Which is almost worse. A lot of missing there, a lot of missing. That's Um, really hard. It's almost. Like, I'm not to say it's great to not have your child there. That's horrible to say, too. But to have the person there and think they're there, but they're not there. there. It's like you can't even, like, adjust to them not being there. Right. And the missing of attunement. Like, yeah. Um, And probably as a kid, like, asking for it. Like, as a kid, you don't realize to stop asking in the beginning. You keep asking for it. And as a kid, then you make it about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So the messages I unknowingly was telling myself then is, I'm not valuable. I'm not worth your time. Right. I'm not lovable. Because there wasn't a meeting of my needs from him. Right. Um, and then my sweet mama <laughs> <laughs> struggled with an eating disorder and was undiagnosed. She would do things like fast for 40 days because she felt like... What's with these 40-day fasts? I feel like they're coming up a lot recently. That to me is like one of the most unhealthy things you can do, right? <laughs> I'm not an nutritionist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How could that benefit anyone? Oof. There's no chance. So she was very underweight, which I think is a, I know as a kid panicked me. Am I going to lose my mom? She's like emaciated. wasting away and emaciated in a way that looked and felt scary. Um, and she also raged. And so there would be moments of like, I don't know which mama I'm going to get. The one that's available and kind and soothing or the one that's about to lose her shit and, you know, scream and throw things like well, that's not comfortable. So I think I just was walking in trauma basically <laughs> throughout my childhood. Do you think that's part of the reason you struggled with like body dysmorphia? Cause your mom was so skinny. Do you Absolutely. feel like that's what you were supposed to look like in Absolutely. some ways? Competing and my, then my sister developed anorexia, my older sister. So, you know, <laughs> like so you, felt, you felt messages. large compared to them. Too. I felt huge. Right. And, um, and I think there's a way of in our bodies, acting out things that are really happening psychologically. So I kind of sometimes think of the plate as a diorama for what's happening in the mind, what's happening in our inner world. I think I ended up doing a lot of like, fuck you eating to my mom. Can I say that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, I'm like, I'm not going to say eating whenever you want. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to be like you. So I'll eat at you. I'm going to not, I'm going to get out of this competition, but that didn't serve me. That was punitive. Right. But I think that's what we are when we're kids. Absolutely. We're punitive. I feel that way. And knowingly, of course. I think most of our behavior is unconscious, and that's our task, to bring it into consciousness and bring it into awareness. But as a kid, I didn't have any sense of that. But ultimately, you and your dad had a great relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when do you feel like it changed? Right. And your dad has since passed away. Yeah. Um, When do you think that changed for you guys? I think it changed as I changed. I think that as I... Well, yoga changed a lot of me and my own therapy, like being in therapy, not offering it. But um, I think I shifted. I think I came to see that holding on to resentment and holding on to anger does not benefit me. It imprisons me. It keeps me on a hook to something in the past and doesn't allow me access to connection or to now or to harness any kind of possibility. So I think a lot of it was me shifting and seeing this man did his best with the resources that he had available and the level of awareness, which wasn't much. And so I became open-hearted to relate to him. And he shifted too, I think, as he became older and could sort of see, like... Isn't it amazing how people shift when they get older? Yes. I always said, when my dad turned 70, I noticed a whole new man coming out of him. Really? For sure. See, by the time my dad was 70, he had dementia. So I noticed yeah. a whole new man coming out of him, oh, too. But it was in, different, like in a different a way, unfortunately. But I feel like when my dad turned 60, that was... Around that time was when he... And he was direct about it. I want to spend more time with you. I want to know you. I want to be in a relationship. That's amazing with that my you got that gift. I, yeah. Because I feel like I'm the youngest of five for my dad. And he's old. My dad's 90 now. I know. And it's amazing. And I feel so fortunate because I've now had 20 years, if not 10 plus amazing years with a man who like has been incredible and emotional sweet that he wasn't at all in the beginning. And so I'm so fortunate that he's been around. So when the evolution started for him, I keep benefiting. And I feel like I've benefited the most since I'm the youngest. Yeah. You know, I had less years of the angry one. <laughs> um, so I, I do feel very fortunate in that regard. I just but, saw a picture of Levy getting ready for... Oh, uh, that's my daughter. Yes, his 90th. Over oh, his 90th. Yeah. yeah, she was so cute. 
She I know. Is so cute. I really good family photos of everyone. It was it was an amazing. Like my family came in from France, from Israel. I mean, everywhere. So he was surrounded by so much love, and he's so with it. So it's great. Like we actually had a ton of fun, and we're laughing and dancing, and it's really nice to be able to celebrate someone when they. I mean, he's still so present. It's amazing, which is great, and I hope he's like that for a lot longer. I would love to ask him, like, what is the secret to your to long life? Well, he'll tell you because I ask. <laughs> we ask him all the time. He loves to work. Mm. He loves his job. He's always loved his job. My dad's a, a doctor and um, a professor. And he still, at 90, goes into Manhattan like three times a week and still teaches. And so for him, it's like his brain is being activated constantly. He also plays the piano. Like, you know, he still does concerts and performs. So he's practicing every day to make sure his next recital is great. Amazing. So he's engaged. Like, he's yeah. engaged in life. And then he also has my mom, who's a spitfire. So, like, she's still, they're going, they go to plays at least once a week in Manhattan. They're going to concerts at the Philharmonic. Like, they're constantly still participating in life. And I think, honestly, that's the secret. Yeah. He says it all the time. Yeah. He's like, I love what I do. And if you yeah. spoke to yeah. him, his brain is just so sharp. Mm-hmm. Because he's always exercising it. So that's what he would say. And love. He loves my mom a lot. They found each other. And so I would say those would be the answers he would say. And saying yes to her is what he's, he's like. I learned to say yes. <laughs> Smart man. But to go back to your dad. So you were really lucky. You guys actually ended up kind of reconnecting. And again, it sounds like so yoga was an impetus for this. Now, as a therapist, what tools could you say? Because I know when I was younger and started therapy... I really struggled in therapy because look, my brain works pretty quickly. I have no problem self-analyzing. Like that was never an mm-hmm. issue for me. I mm-hmm. could analyze myself to death. So where I struggled were, was when I felt like therapists then enjoyed that because we could talk for hours and analyze the shit out of anything. But I was always like, well, give me a fucking tool. Like I get it. I need to do more blank. I need to be more open. I need to accept more. I need to have patience. I need to have compassion. But how do I do that? So like as a therapist, what would you help what are some basic rules or practices people can do and I'm not saying you're going to fix everyone who's listening to this but I do think it's really helpful and I think a lot of times people don't get that even in therapy they don't always get it yeah I think that's right I think one tool is again back to the body do you know how to get yourself regulated in any moment can you take a deep breath it sounds really simple, but can. most most of the ways in which people sabotage themselves and their relationships and their success in whatever is that they can't take any breath, and so they're reactive, and they get triggered by a certain situation that's really to do with something in the past, so they time travel to being a two-year-old, and then they act like a two-year-old, even though they're 45, and can't believe later that that was the I best like they could come up, up with so in the moment. people's situation. <laughs> right? And so it's like self-regulation. This is... So this pause. Is, this is a benefit of yoga. Pause. Ground. Like... Like you're doing now, sit your We're sitting on cushions down into the cushion or set your feet down into the ground and root in, center yourself, like really center yourself so that you don't see what's happening with you in this current space and time is the only thing going on in the, you're not that big of a fucking deal. Right. <laughs> you know, this crisis that you're dealing with isn't that big of a deal. Like center yourself in the universe as a whole. So calm down. So <laughs> not stop, that people want to hear pause, that. Stop, pause. Take a breath. And then start breathing deeply because when you take deep lower diaphragm breaths that you're actually conscious of, I am breathing, not organic breath that's going to be like up in your chest and going really quickly and um, causing your sympathetic nervous system to rise. So everything that comes along with that rapid heart rate, sweat, you know, um, fight or flight muscles activating on your quadriceps, et cetera. When you can pause and take a deep breath, you're less reactive and more responsive. And then in that moment, you can go, maybe right now is actually not the best time to address this. Because if I do, I'm going to bite your head off. <laughs> and then it's going to take three years to undo what, I, what took me three seconds to activate. It if is not true. 30 years. Some of our actions, it takes two seconds to do them. You don't even think about it. And mm-hmm. then it takes years of repairing that. Right. So God, instead to just pause, breathe, ground, get centered. Most likely, my response is usually like, not yet. You know, now's not the time because if I'm charged, however I'm treating somebody else is not going to, it's not going to go well for any of us. And that's hard. And that's actually really hard to do because we all know when we get amped up, something clicks mm-hmm. and it is really hard no matter who you are to like, and it probably takes practice. You probably it's get practice. better at it, I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah. So does leaving a room also help? Like actually mm-hmm. leaving the situation mm-hmm. maybe? Absolutely. And then just kind of grounding, deep breath. And then if you're trying to teach someone how to have empathy or look at something from another point of view like you did with your dad, what would you say the first, now they've calmed down, they have a different perspective, 
is there something they can ask themselves or like what would another step be to try and like learn empathy in a situation? Learning empathy is a tough thing to teach. I think part of it It is is developing overall. So I don't know if this is like in the moment that you're triggered and you're amped up and you're full of rage, this is not the moment to try to develop empathy. Maybe the first thing is to try to develop empathy for you to try to see yourself with compassion. Like you're going through this thing and it's really difficult right now. It sucks that you're in this position, that your heart's being broken, that you feel rejected or that you feel abandoned. So first to try to develop empathy for you and maybe get a sense of what's happening with you. How do you feel? And for a lot of people, that's like impossible. They don't have an emotional vocabulary. So even that step one is really tough. It is true. The vocabulary is part of it, really. Yeah, to be able to name. It helps you understand, yeah. Oh, I feel betrayed. Okay, then I can do something with that. And instead of just like, all circuits are firing, but I don't really even know what's going on with me. Because don't you think most of us spend the time, and I think we all know, or maybe we don't know this, I think we all get so bogged down in the minutia. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is that triggered you, it's like you get so bogged down in the details of the minutia and what they did and why they did it. And it was wrong because of this. And I told you, whatever, whatever right, the right, details right. are around whatever happened. And like you said, if you can take a step back and somehow label it, you realize there's a broader thing happening here and it's actually not about that. And that might not have even bothered you so much if that broader thing was fixed. Yeah, it was at the root. Yeah. And the details are seductive, right? The details are the thing that keeps us like addicted to the story and then we get to be the victim. I know, which is fun sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Not healthy, but fun sometimes. Fun until it isn't. Fun until it sticks us back there and then we're in prison along with whoever we've put there with us that we think caused us the harm. So it's kind of like a diet. It's like short-term fun. Short-term fun. <laughs> yeah. so that's what we're learning here today. Short-term Avoid the short-term fun. fun. But you know, it's funny. I say that all the time. It's like the hard work will give you a long-term gain. I mean, they say that in sports, but it's like even in spirituality or self-work, it's like if you're willing to put in the work, your life gets so much easier. Right. If you keep avoiding the work, whatever that means, whether it be diets, whether it means drugs, drinking, whatever it is for any of us, your life is so hard constantly. Like you just keep getting knocked over. So it's like if you would just put a little bit more in energy to like try and understand yourself and like change your perspective, it really is amazing how life will just phew, all of a sudden become a much easier ride. It really. There's a AA saying, right? It works if you work it, which applies to everything. All those yes. things you just named, meditation too. It works if you work it. You can't sit down for a 30-minute sit out of nowhere and think like, oh, now I have more spaciousness in right. my heart. Like, it's not really. You're probably just frustrated. But if you stay disciplined and dedicated over time and stay committed to a practice, any practice... But let's talk about that. It's switching gears a little bit. But one of the things I think you and I, and maybe we're going to out ourselves and tell me if you're not comfortable talking about it. But one of the funny things I think that you and I bonded a Are little bit over out? in Israel. <laughs> no. <laughs> we bonded. We did cuddle a lot. Um, but one of the things, again, it was a very intense trip, but we did bond a little bit over. And again, we work in these worlds. We love the talk. We love what we're talking about right now. But like in any industry, there's like a borderline of people who truly actually live the spirituality in the world and then people who speak it a lot and get wrapped up a little bit in too much of the dialogue, too much of the dialectic, too much of the vocabulary, too much of like, if I do this, people are going to think I'm that. I mean, and there's some funny instances, like in general, like what do you think in this industry are kind of the pitfalls of like those extremes? It's probably the same pitfalls of any industry. One thing is making it into an industry, Yes. right? Like as soon as we capitalize it, is that the right word for that? Yeah, I, and I guess I'm at fault for that. As soon as we monetize it, I don't know that you're at fault. No, I, let's go back to that because I don't think that's true. But I think as, as soon as we create a way that we can also make an income, there's a danger there. Of because starting to act a certain role in order to fill it. Yeah, and of just losing the integrity of our own practices. I know I've heard it from so many yoga teachers. Once I started teaching, I stopped practicing. And it's like, oh no, that's like when we need to start practicing. We practice for our students. And I think that can become, that's a really seductive shift of I'm just gonna um, feed my career, feed the likes, feed the income, and and stop feeding the soul. (laughs) Really like not anymore being invested in maybe what called somebody in the first place I don't know who these people are. We're all different, but right. like to, toward yoga or toward meditation or toward spiritual practice. Cause it is interesting. You do find these people sometimes that it's like they use the dialogue so much and the certain, the certain words a lot, but then you're like, you're not even listening. Like you're not even actually listening to what's happening or you're just putting it out there or you're actually being very self. It's funny. Like you said, they're not actually doing the practice, but they speak it more. And then weirdly 
look, I, I know for me, like one of the things we were talking about is, look, I'm from Jersey. Like I, I curse a lot. I say it like it is. I'm very honest. And so sometimes it can be like weirdly frowned upon in this world because it feels like I'm being harsh or not this. But I will say, and not always, we always fall off our practice and veer and that's why we're always learning. But all in all, I do find because I'm honest, I'm usually pretty clear on who I am mm-hmm. and I'm pretty centered in that way. But even though people will sometimes look at me as if like, who the fuck are you? Like you're so off spiritual because I will talk like this. But then I'm like, no, but who are you? Like, I actually know who I am. It might not, you might not like what's coming out, but in a weird way, I'm practicing more spirituality in that sense, which is one of the things I like to talk about here. It's like, it doesn't matter what package it comes in. Like spirituality comes in so many different packages. It doesn't have to, you know, come in a lotus flower every single time. I mean, mean, but it's true. You know what I mean? It's true. What I try to think about is how can I see myself in the other? And if something's coming up that's triggering me or annoying me, okay, what am I doing or how am I being that I'm not aware of that's making me feel annoyed with however somebody else is showing up? Because I, part of my spiritual practice is the idea of oneness, that we really are each other. So like for me, one of the reasons I love you is for the reasons you just named. <laughs> like you're who you say you are, that's integrity. You don't trigger me because I feel like I'm an integrity. But if you if I didn't, that you might really chafe me. Like I might really be annoyed because what I what you would be reflecting to me is the ways that I'm in conflict with what I say I'm about. Interesting. So thank God you like integrity. <laughs> <laughs> I love integrity. No, we did we did get along immediately. Right, here it is, our next Den Talks Live, the first one of 2020, and we have something super special for you. We've got Gal Sasson coming back, who you know, he always sells out. He's always amazing. He's already done two episodes with us, which have always been huge hits. So run, don't walk, go to dentalkspodcast.com and reserve your spot. It's going to be January 25th, which is a Saturday night, and he is walking us through the astrology of 2020. I know you guys are all secretly obsessed with that, so get your butts in here. He's going to tell us about all the energy we should be expecting, pitfalls, He'll answer all Q&A so you can make this as personal as you want it to be. So you'll know when not to buy the house, when not to break up with your partner, all those things we also really want to know. And frankly, if you're just interested in learning more about astrology, he is the guy because he is brilliant and he always has the most amazing observations to share with us. So go again to dentalkspodcast.com and get your tickets because like everything he does, it will sell out. So I also want to talk about a little bit kind of on the string of what we're talking about, like what's been going on in society today. Like right now, I mean, we don't know exactly when this is going to air, but there's been a lot coming up with all the sexual harassment suits. I mean, and it's crazy. And then the Me Too campaign. um, And there's been very mixed reactions to the Me Too campaign, like very mixed from women in general. Some really disliked it. Mm -hmm. Some it gave them a chance to crack open and like reveal everything. How are you feeling, especially since so much of what you do is work with empowerment and women, how are you feeling about what's going on? I understand all of those responses, really. I can I can empathize with how everybody's feeling along that spectrum of whether or not this is benefiting them. I feel, though, like I wish there really were men taking ownership, and women, if they were perpetrators, taking ownership of it was me. I cause this. I'm complicit in this way. I benefit by the way that we all oppress women in this way and objectify women in this way. I did sexually harass. I did this locker room talk. I did rape. Like, come forward. Because I I really, the part I don't, I like it that women are feeling liberated and sharing their stories. I feel like through our vulnerability, we get to connect and we get to belong and it's necessary. That's like the gateway to intimacy, as Brene Brown has taught all of us, and I agree with her. But at the same time, I think other women are just, again, we have to take the responsibility again. How do you feel, and I don't know how much you're following, but did you, because it's more entertainment, and I know that's not necessarily your world, but do you know anything about the Louis C.K. stuff? Yeah. So how did you feel about his apology then? Because he was, out of all of them, one of the only people to at least say, I did those things. I did. My friend Jessica Bumble sent me yesterday. <laughs> um, We're going to talk about all our girlfriends in a that's second because right, that's, that's right. when it gets fun. <laughs> um, sent me this thing yesterday. I actually didn't read it. But um, it was that some women had gone and like edited. Literally edited every line. His 
his apology and he made some good points. He didn't directly apologize. Right. It's like he took responsibility. I, I agree with you more than most men have. It's not like he sent out a spokesperson and said no comment, right? He, I think, tried to own what he could. And I think it just showed his level of awareness at the time. I think he'll continue to be informed. And hopefully, it seems like his heart was in the right place, but he didn't have enough awareness yet to but, say, I was how- in a position of power. But you know what's interesting? Well, he did say that. He did say that, actually. Like, I took it. If anything, he got shit on for that because he said it too much. Like, how how much they admired him. And then people shit on him for that because they were like, oh, we get it. Everyone admires you. And it's different than saying, I was in a position of power. And owning that when you're in a position of power over, there is power under. So these women were did not have choice. I feel like, and again, I don't remember the exact... I feel like he did at least intimate that really strongly. Because I actually felt... I, I know I'm on the minority that way. I actually kind of felt bad for him because I agree with you. I think he wasn't at a place of awareness yet. I think he put it out there. I think a little bit the problem of what's going on now today is nobody can write anything or say anything unless they have a professional combing over every sentence and making sure every sentence is tweaked perfectly. Because we know we're all gray. Like, I mean, we were just talking about this the other day. Nothing is that simple. It's never black and white. And so, especially when you're speaking the first time and it's coming out and you're writing it, like, I, to me, I was with you. Like, I thought the overall message was one of apology and was one of admitting and taking ownership. And yes, there were a couple of words and stuff that could have been finessed better or he could have said it. But at the same time, I'm like, at least he did it. And I think that's what he was trying to mm-hmm. convey. I really do. And I, it's hard. Like, I, I, I feel like it's been a really tough time because I get it. Like, women are rising, which I love. And like you said, we're speaking out. And hopefully, whether men are speaking out or not, they're they're thinking it in their heads I'm hoping like I'm hoping at least there's some like oh fuck I've done some of that shit myself like I gotta get this in check and I'm hoping at least the next generation is learning what's okay and not okay which is important which we haven't really taught um but it is tricky I feel like there it's it's a hard time right now people can't also there's any version of truth or honesty I think is also getting bashed if it's not exactly what you want to hear it's not completely like politically correct, which yes. is an outdated term now. And it's kind of like that, trying to keep up with the jargon in a way that doesn't shut down our fifth chakra. It like, doesn't allow <laughs> us to speak at all. So can there be some kind of truth and reconciliation practices where it, it's an, more of an open forum and there's like ground, ground agreements set? Yes. <laughs> because by the way, you actually, it's an interesting point you just made. If I were a man in that world right now, I'd actually be terrified because I'd be like, whatever I say, I know it's not going to be right. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I think people would be afraid because they're like, it's going to get torn apart. I'm going to say it wrong. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting that you said it. It's true. It's almost like instead of some people just, it's like being in a relationship. Like you sometimes don't get the apology exactly how you want it, but you know where your partner is coming from. And again, I'm not bringing it down and taking severity out of some of these situations. Um, But how do you feel about just, like, I mean, it is crazy what's happening. It's like an onslaught. Do you think it's just like, a volcano erupting, like it's been. I, it's not new. No, and none of these stories are even all that recent, right? Maybe some of them, but a lot of these no, stories, of people, women have been sitting on them. I think there's been a, a doorway, an opening, and people are seeing. Women are seeing now. I can tell this story, and I think for them, they're feeling liberated, or they're they're feeling like permission has been given for them to also offer, I have been harmed in this way. And that's the power of storytelling, right? This collective is coming forward. But I don't think it's news. I don't think we, I don't feel surprised. No, I mean, I don't like, think any woman's surprised. Men might be surprised. Men might women be surprised. surprised. I think men might be surprised. You know, I went to, I can't remember, some, some uh, comedian show. And he was like, women, raise your hand if you've ever been, you know, assaulted or um, objectified. And every woman raised their hand. And I was with two men that were like, really? No, and they totally were legitimately surprised. surprised. And I was like, "How? Uh, yeah. Every, I don't know a woman that hasn't yeah, been society not them. was not wired in a way where women had an outlet to even... It just wasn't wired properly. So I'm hoping this is a rewiring happening. What do you think about this, though? It, like, Just like, look, clearly there's something that needs to be learned. There needs to be changes in corporations and society and expectations and rules. Like... Like I was saying the other day, there it's it's like having a two-year-old. If you don't put a rule and a consequence, they're going to keep doing whatever. So there has to be like different things happening within. Like I said, this is a really interesting time for HR departments because they can actually put shit in place for the first right. time that actually matter. And I do think changes are going to happen. But on the flip side, do you think this is an interesting time for women to also take a learning opportunity for this of also 
being empowered to learn how to set boundaries properly. I mean, I think there's a conversation that's not being talked about yet. And probably because if you say it, you feel like you're not. Look, again, in today's society, I feel like if you don't just fully jump on one bandwagon and only say that argument, they think that means you don't agree with them, which is not the case at all. But I think there's an interesting opportunity now, too, on the other side for women to also be taught how to create boundaries, really have strength in themselves to know, to believe in what they think is right or wrong, which I think was also missing. In a way. It's I mean, what you do in a way. Yeah. It's a systemic issue. Yeah. Because it's hard to tell any oppressed, any member of any oppressed group, traditionally oppressed or whatever, including women, um, this is your responsibility to do differently. And I think that maybe it sounds like I'm like hedging there, but I do believe that as a woman who's been in some of those positions, it didn't feel like if I had more knowledge about how to set boundaries, I would have had a choice. Right. Because when you're in that position of disempowerment, you're, you fear that you're going to risk your job or whatever it might be, or your physical safety. Like, ah, so I don't think... Well, yes, I can... think with certain physical things, that does not apply at all. I mean, there's certain times you're, there's an aggressor and there's nothing you can do. I mean, there's, unfortunately, and you just retreat. Like, right. So and and do... you give in, whatever it is, whatever the situation is. That's a totally different, a different scenario, yeah. which I exist, unfortunately. It's really horrible, actually. And it's happened to a good chunk of women. Almost all. That's the Almost thing. Almost so all have do... been in that situation, yeah. too, for so I think sure. what you're saying is going to be a benefit of the systemic uprising, that mm-hmm. maybe there is a space for women to maybe even within each other find ways if it's not to tell if it is to tell the story to do the maybe the step is to do the reporting like yeah. maybe there's not a way to stop these kinds of things from happening to them that's up to the men to sort out or whoever the violators are I don't want to think that they're all men although I think the large majority of them are <laughs> um, um, to, to, like a true lesbian. Right, <laughs> to be able to do do the reporting and not feel like they have to keep shame shaming themselves and staying in their own um, secrecy and living in fear if something has happened to them. it's almost like sadly maybe that's the first step is yeah, just no, women feeling like they don't have to hold on to these things that happen to them huge. for 20 years. And that years. is what you're seeing. I mean, and that's why I try and explain to some men too. They're like, but why is everyone coming out now from something from 20 years ago? I'm like, because for the first time ever, there's like a gate and it opens. Yeah, And can. it's like allowed and they can and they're being unbelievably supported. So there's no doubt right now that you couldn't come forward and not be believed, which just even three months ago wouldn't have necessarily felt like the case. And, and I don't think they get that. It's like they're, the fact that they know people will actually believe them now is already a huge, huge change. Yeah, because it's always been, well, what were you wearing? Well, right. what did you say to provoke him hitting you? Yeah. What, you know, what, really, what do you have on him? You? What do you really want mm-hmm. out of this situation? Mm-hmm. Right. It's true. You just kind of learn it's easier to move on and ignore it. But it is like on that same note, and it's like switching subjects a little bit too, Look, people are layered. Like, good people do bad shit, which is what I think is going to be interesting about all of these people being taken down. Like, which ones are struggling with their inner demons? And again, I'm not justifying anything that happened at all. Let me be clear. But it is, you know, people have work to do on themselves. And it doesn't mean there's not a goodness in them somewhere. Um, Because we've talked about it. I mean, we look at ourselves as pretty decent human beings, but we've both fucked up big times in our lives before. Royally. (laughs) And hurt people and all of that. And I think it's like even interesting for you. I think that's part of the reason you probably relate to women so well because I feel like you've been super late. I mean, you were married previously, correct? Mm-hmm. How long were you guys married? We were only married a couple of years. How about that? that but was we like were together too. for eight. Yeah. Me too, almost. <laughs> it's the same. So you're, and she was older. And she was 13 years older. Still is. <laughs> that hasn't changed. Her age did not pause. I have not yet caught up with her. Um, and you guys lived together in, it was in Dallas, in Dallas right? Yeah. And you, I mean, you had the life. Had the life, trophy wife life. Didn't, you see, were the it, didn't see it then, but you like looking back, I'm like, oh. <laughs> what was I thinking? So <laughs> why, like, I mean, ultimately you left, correct? I had an affair. I had an affair with a mutual friend. Oof, God, you went for it. I went, you went for, for the it. jugular. Big time, <laughs> big time. I mean, so hurtful. Um, I don't think I could have created a scenario that would have caused more pain. And not only to my ex-wife, but also to myself. Well, let's chat about it because... Again, you're one of the most amazing human beings. You are one of the kindest people I know. You're also one of the happiest. So, But I do think it's important to talk about stuff like this because I think people, again, good people do bad things. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It's just, so talk about when you did something like that, which, I mean, really, like you said, causes a lot of pain and hurt. 
talk about how it made you feel and what it did to you guys. And then how did you ultimately like grow from that? Um, like, did you forgive yourself? I had to. I think the two choices were kill myself or forgive myself. I mean, it was that bad. It was that bad. My shame spiral was so deep because I was already, at the time I was having an affair, I was just graduating. So I was just earning my PhD in clinical psychology. So like here I was trying to be helpful to people and then feeling internally like I am a piece of shit. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm betraying this this woman who's really... How long did you cheat on her? Not perfect, but wonderful. No, it's perfect. Months. I don't know. Four months, six months, something like that. Like, it went on. It was not a one-time event. But let's also chat, because I do think, unless you're just someone who cheats all the time, mm-hmm. which, I mean, that's a little... can be systemic, too, and, like, people do that. If it's something like this, what do you think was going on? Usually, and again, not to take any onus off of you and your actions, but what do you think was going on... And really, like you clearly weren't happy. Right. I think I wasn't happy with myself. I mean, I really think that I, in my affair was acting out of, I don't know if this will make sense to you, but like a two-year-old need, like the unmet need of my inner child of feeling like I was being abandoned. I felt like I was being abandoned in my relationship, in my marriage. Why? Um, I was married to a workaholic. Okay. She just was not I there. That's very relatable. Was not there. Sexless marriage. I hope she never hears this, but that (laughs) is the truth. And so I think for me, instead of finding ways to work with that or through that or find a way to just leave her and have integrity for both of us, which probably would have been the answer, I think, for the two of us at that time, I acted out. And I just acted out my two-year-old needs. I split, didn't tell her what was going on, and fell in love and, you know, acted on my... Do you think part of it was because you needed that excitement at that point? Like, because you weren't getting it? So that's part of the reason you didn't tell her is because you were actually fulfilling, like, the the passion you were looking for? Oh, yeah. I was so deluded. You know, like, they say love is blind. I mean, I was... And I don't think this was love. I think it was, like, lust. But, yeah, yeah. passion, lust, you know, very temporary. Um, Yeah, I think I was just, like, in this... almost like psychotic delusionary place. You don't know the psychotic person of this. I can have both. I didn't see that I really wanted to leave my marriage and that was the truth. Oh, so like while you were in it, you actually... I wanted to have an affair and have that be like my little side... I don't know what I was saying. Like (laughs) side pleasure, side something. Take on a lover. Side piece. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the story gets really complicated. The woman I was having an affair with was lying to me about having cancer. So what I thought in my... (laughs) <laughs> little 28-year-old brain was, she's going to die. So we can oh, do this. <laughs> so this is weirdly clean. This is what I mean by It's like, weirdly it clean. Like, it's going to so, solve itself. Yeah, it's going to solve itself. And she was, of course, saying, like, I want to do this before I die. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, it's just fucked up. Sounds like a soap opera. It felt like a soap opera at the time. How yeah. did your wife find out? Uh, she found... She directly asked me, and I lied to her face. So I know she found out by just her own gut. Like she, people know. Yeah, they always, always know. And um, because she knew I was uh, away, I don't actually think I was with the woman I was having an affair with. I told her I think I want to leave. I want to break, and I'd gone and stayed with a friend. And so she took that opportunity to look through all my credit card statements and found a couple charges that just didn't make sense. It didn't make sense to her, and um, called me and confronted me, and I told her the truth because at that point I was like. Eh. It's, I can't lie to her. And that was the beginning of the end. Did you guys try and work on it? Mm-hmm. We tried for almost a year. But that's... No, I get it. I mean, I did yeah. the same thing. Yeah. It's, um, I totally get it. it. Because at that point, like you said, there is that goodness where you, you knew you fucked up. It wasn't I just... Knew. Yeah, you know, there was you no question. Right. There was no question. Um, and, but our therapist told me, Are you, would you really want someone to stay with you out of obligation? Because that's what you're telling me you're doing. And, and it really hit me. I was like, that is true. I would hate for someone to stay with me out of obligation. He was like, why are you doing this? Why are you working this hard? I was like, it's the right thing to do. I made a commitment. It's the right thing to do. And he was like, is there love? Is there desire? No. But, right? I was like staying dutiful. And he was like, get how like. How long did it take you post-relationship to like heal for yourself? Like forgive yourself? I think it took at least five years. Yeah. And I discovered, I don't know if I told you this or not, we had dinner the other night, I discovered just a month ago that I was still holding on to this piece of shame around having children that was based way back then that I thought I had forgiven myself. And I've actually been teaching forgiveness and talking about this story openly for a number of years. And then I was coming to this decision of should I become a parent? Should I be a single mom? Because I'm still single. And um, I had this, I don't know, ish, ish ish today, (laughs) ish, Um, not anymore, but for the parenting. I'm single for now. 
And I had this um, meditation at a Marianne Williamson talk here in LA. And in it, I dropped in and I was like, wow, uh, the reason I'm actually not moving forward on what my deepest desire is to have a baby is because I'm still carrying shame that while I was married, we were trying to have a child. And that's when I left and said, I can't do this anymore. So I was still telling myself unknowingly up until last month, you know, you don't deserve, you're not deserving, you're you're not worthy out of that decision 12 years ago. That's almost the problem of being self-aware. It's like you really (laughs) beat yourself up (laughs) because you know, you fucked up and you know, you caused someone pain and that's a horrible feeling, but But, people do it. Like, that's the thing. Like we're all real human beings. Like none of us are perfect. I, I find the myth of, you know, when depressed people or angry people, you know, think that anyone who's happy has just had the easiest life. That almost gets me, like, to me, that's actually my Achilles heel. Because I'm like, no, 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 right. that's not the case at all. Like, nobody's had, yes, some lives, of course, are easier than others. Bad, some worse shit happens to people for sure. But it is, like, you have to learn how to, like, process and how to react to things and how you let bad take over or not take over. Yeah, and I think you said that earlier. I'm one of the kind. Well, thank you. I'm one of the kindest people. But the reason for that is because I created such a shame spiral for myself. And in order to crawl out of it, like digging my fingernails in, yeah. like um, day after day after day, I had to cultivate compassion because I hated myself. So I really had to work and stay dedicated and committed to cultivating forgiveness because that's not like a light. So like, oh, just forgive myself. No big deal. Bygone. So it's no, over. it takes time. It takes time and it took effort. And in that learning, in that cultivation of empathy and of compassion, of course, then I became so much more kind toward other people, truly, and compassionate and empathetic. Like, I get it. No matter what you could tell me that you've done or been through or thought, I'd be like, mm-hmm. Because even if I haven't like matched up exactly the error or the mistake, I'd be like, yeah, I get how that could happen. It's called human. I understand. Right. We all have the same capacity. And I wasn't like that before. You know, that's one of the gifts I think of having had an affair so many years ago that it, the resiliency helped me to cultivate such a deeper level of compassion and of empathy. Do you think compassion and empathy are some of the key tools in general to happiness? I do. And gratitude. Which is, you think would be so simple, but it can be really difficult. Well, but like we were saying earlier, it's easy to see yourself as a victim. It's easy to see yourself as the center of the universe. It's easy to like create um, long lists of all the things that are going wrong for you. And it does take a little bit of effort to, oh, but <laughs> what do <laughs> oh, I have access to? I can breathe. That's enough. The sun is anything. Just to begin with, I can take a deep breath and be grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I could go on and on and on. You're amazing to talk to, and we should have you back because I feel like there's a million more subjects we should talk about. Um, can I just spitfire a few questions for you? Yeah. Who, if you had one spiritual teacher, whether it's someone you know personally or just someone like online you go to or a book you go to, who would that person be? Oh, it's a hard one. I'm going to go with this simple answer and say Sean Korn just because of our relationship. I've not only been able to witness her as a teacher as a yoga teacher, as a spiritual spiritual teacher, but as a friend, to see what it looks like when somebody is actually in integrity with what they say that they're about. So like the opposite of what you were talking about earlier, <laughs> I've been able it. to see her livid and I've been able to see the way that I've seen so many opportunities come her way that she could have taken advantage of, made shitloads of money, and she's instead gone, how can I elevate somebody else's voice instead of just take this for me? That's so beautiful. And and tell me her prayers of like, let my ego be ready for the opportunities that come my way so that I can be a representative of spirit in the way that I should. Like, whoa. That's she delivers prayer better than anyone I've ever heard. <laughs> she prays a lot. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like she, she prays a lot of practice. Practice. Yeah. I know, it's yeah. pretty amazing. So I have to say Sean, which has been just like it's one of the biggest gifts in my life, time to have access to to her as And you two are very close also. So you get actually personal, beautiful support from her. That's what I mean, like in that to see like, oh she's she's really <laughs> who she says that she is, and it makes me really want to be who I say that I am for the people that would name me if you asked them that question. All two of them. <laughs> <laughs> Who, what if, is there a book that you would recommend? Like one book that you're like, I keep going back to that one. You know, it's When Things Fall Apart. It's a great by one. Shadron. I thought of it this morning as I was... Um, in a therapy session with someone who was, you know, how 20 year olds, if they don't know what they're doing for the rest of their lives or losing it, that was happening. I don't, but I don't know. And I was like, oh. <laughs> this is where I hope you always stay in this unknown and in this willingness to be fearless 
and courageous in the like darkness. And I think that's what that book speaks to for me. I found that book as I was getting a divorce. So it helps you get through your unknown and your darkness. All the change. Yeah. And that like people need to know that like unknown and darkness exists for everyone many times within your lifetime. It's not just once. And you're right. The more you can get comfortable in it and not let it paralyze you, the more exciting your life actually becomes. Absolutely. It's a source of creativity. Yeah. Something comes out of it. You have to come out. You come out of it eventually. So like it's exciting. You don't know what's on the other side. But if you, I guess you have to look at it that way, that that's exciting and not terrifying. <laughs> yeah. um, and what about if there was like a go-to practice for you, super easy, super fast, like you're about to run into like a high-pressured meeting or something really bad happened, but you don't have, like what would your quick, I don't want to say fix because nothing's a quick fix, mm-hmm. but what's your quick go-to? If I have one minute? <laughs> or even like five minutes. I mean, you're, just, my, you're not sitting down yeah, for like yeah. a 45-minute practice. Yeah, well, that's good. I don't think we could name that. <laughs> and I have you touching your toes. Um, mine is, it's interesting, I just made it up one day a few years ago when I was really nervous going into a teaching engagement. I lean into the mirror and I look into my own eyes and I see some, I mean, as cheesy as it sounds, no, I really do feel like I have contact or connection with some part of my soul that's deeper than the rest of me. And I just take a moment, I take a breath, I look just in my eyes and I, whatever comes out is like what I need to hear in that moment. Like, I feel like we, we know our deepest longings. We know what needs to soothe us. The first time I did it, I looked in my eyes and I said, I was shocked that these words came out of my mouth. You've got this little one. And I was like, okay. So the part of me that was afraid was like this little girl that was like, nah, if it doesn't go well, I won't be loved and I won't be worthy and I won't belong. But the adult me had it. I was like ready to throw down. How'd you do? <laughs> I think I did great. You threw down. Right? And th- that actually going into that teaching was the seed of the um, curriculum for Body Love Movement. kind of came organically during that teaching. Oh, wow. So I did have it. I had it so much more than I knew. Do you mind leading us through like a five or a ten minute meditation or prayer or whatever you're comfortable doing? Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Yay. By us, you mean you, right? <laughs> and Michael. <laughs> Uh, So let's stay with that theme. So wherever you are as you hear this, if you can, get rooted, whatever that means to you. If you can take a seat or maybe lie flat with your whole spine supported, whatever might feel supported to you, root into that support. And then locate your breath. It might be that you can sense the oxygen at the tips of your nose. It might be that you have access to feeling your lungs expand side to side and front to back as you breathe in the air that's available to you. And let's just call in together whatever you define as a higher power or consciousness, however you perceive as a wisdom or a force. I consider it love. You might call it God. Invite that presence to be with you now in support. As we've talked about for the last few minutes, each of us have parts of us. We're like Russian dolls that feel scared, overwhelmed in the darkness, inside of the unknown, without resources, or perhaps without the support of the tools that we need to get through and to see to the other side of an experience. Can you, though, tap into or locate any amount of the truth within you already? That you are enough, that there is enough, that you have enough, and that whatever transition you might be in in this moment, whatever unknowns might be burdening you or overwhelming you, there is nothing outside of you that you have to reach for or earn or find a way into deserving. The same way that you can now access oxygen to take in any amount of that breath into your nose and into your lungs. 
same availability of love is offered to you, of grace and forgiveness is offered to you. There's not a limit or a condition on your enoughness that would be an obstacle to you being able to take in as much as you want at any time. You are all ready, ready. You're already exactly who you need to be in order to show up to this moment. If it would feel supportive to you to take your own hand to your own tender heart, do so. And as you feel your beating heart beneath your hand, acknowledging tender soul, you have been through so much. This beating heart has been broken and it has offered generous love and kindness and empathy. It has felt abandoned and rejected. Its capacity to love is endless. Its capacity to receive is endless. And maybe offer the words to your own heart that only you know you're longing to hear. And when you're ready, if your hand's on your heart, feel free to take it back down into your lap. Knowing that you can return to that mantra, to that truth, anytime. It's always available to you. My words were, you've got this, little one. You've got this. Take one more very deep breath in. Exhale it all the way out. And then as you're ready, untangle your eyelashes from each other. Return to the present moment that you're in hopefully feeling grounded, rooted, and enough. Ten Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edon, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielek, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks Podcast, and join us there.